Welcome to the Adventure Post-Show Pre-Show. Thank you, Bobby Bones, for the idea. Yes. And the topic for today, well, we seem to be talking a lot about dogs. Yeah, we kind of like dogs. We're trying to lobby for a therapy dog, but I think it got voted down already. I think so. Jody Grover in the office has a dog. She needs to not give away, just a temporary home for her. So we're trying to find that for her. Well, and a couple of us had already had um, spouse vetoes, (laughs) but Glenn hasn't had the veto yet. Surprisingly, it was lukewarm. Yes. Yes. You never know. Might have another another friendly face around the Duran household there. And and she truly could be a therapy dog. She could be, yes, especially for me. Say dogs are just the best. <laughs> we all know I need therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But on I today think it's because you sit across from me though. <laughs> That's the biggest reason. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on today's show, we got to talk to Dr. Mark. I butchered his last name last time. Mark Malaby. Malaby, yes. He's doing something very interesting. Uh, Steve Wyckoff here at SDEC and Mike Cook had an idea using Scout Mare badges to teach classes. So he took that and ran with it. He didn't. He implemented it far um, quicker than he wanted to. Oh, no, I take that back far quicker than he intended to. Yes. Because he ended up being a little bit of a rebel, and you'll get to learn about that during our podcast. Yes. So stay tuned. Listen in. Show's up next. We could be rebels, too, and just show up home with dogs. Do you like Mark? (laughs) (laughs) That's staying in. Adventurecast number 12 here. Welcome to the show. As always with me, Calamity Jamie H. (laughs) Jamie. My left here, and in studio today we have a special guest. Uh, he gave a presentation a couple of weeks ago at the ESDA, at our ESDEC uh, superintendents meeting, uh, which was um, what would you say? I want to say innovative. Is there another word? It was directed at the innovation and the redesign. Yeah, because we had Randy Watson there. And- yeah, so it was pretty neat. We're kind of excited about the show, but Mark Malby. Did I pronounce that right? I Almost. Almost. Yeah, Malaby. Malaby. Yeah. I should have had that. Okay. Mark Malaby. Supposed to have my back there, English Jamie. English person, USD 418. Yeah. So why don't you give us a little introduction there since I obviously can't do it. <laughs> I'm Mark Malaby. I've been uh, teaching for a long time. Started in the 90s um, and taught as a high school teacher in Tulsa. And then once I got my PhD, I went on and taught at Ball State and Oklahoma State, and then finally at McPherson College, and then realized that what I really needed to be doing was teaching kids instead of being an administrator. So I went back three years ago to high school and to teach English again. It was the best decision I ever made. Explain that. (laughs) Why? Um, What I realized is that when you become an administrator, um, 
your focus moves away from the relationships with the kids and it moves more into uh, managing systems. And the further I found myself immersed in meetings about accreditation or enrollment and correspondingly, the less time I had in the classroom, the unhappier I became. And so it just became a, a matter of trying to remember where my joy came from. And uh, once I realized that what I needed to be doing was teaching, it became a really simple decision to go back to the classroom. So you started something new because you happened into ESDAC and you happened across Steve Wyckoff's desk and you discovered some items on his desk. Explain that a little bit. So I was here for a training and uh, saw Steve, who I know, and went over and just said, what do you got? Which is what I always say to him because he always has stuff that's awesome. And he said, well, I've got these merit badges. Do you want to take a look at them? They're kind of interesting. And so I took a a link and a, a sheet of merit badges and took them back. And I was looking for uh, some way to improve my research papers in my English classes because all English classes have to have research papers. And um, I don't think it's ever been changed, the format. And when I looked at the merit badges, my eyes just kind of bugged out. I mean, as soon as I saw the spread of topics, I knew that I was possibly onto something that was going to be really, really good. And then when I began to click into them, it was all just, I could just see the whole thing. It was all just laid up and laid out for me about how I needed to do this and what this would look like. And so this was in December and in February or March, I, I launched it. I thought that I, instead of taking a year to prep, I took three or four weeks and, uh, and started on it and it went really, really well. How did you introduce that to your students and what, let's, let's give a little bit of background of what you teach high school, but what level of courses are you teaching? I teach sophomores and juniors and the last few years I've taught entirely on level, what we call on level, which in reality means any child who is not placed in the AP track. And so it goes from kids who are extremely successful traditional students who just don't want English, don't like English so much, to students with second and third grade reading levels, with full-time para support, kids with um, social emotional issues where my class might be the only class there um, in gen ed population during the day. So the range is just enormous for, for the on-level classes. And again, I was teaching English two and three, which was, which is the sophomore and junior levels of English. So how did you introduce the badges to them? And what does it look like from your perspective and the student perspective? I really didn't have much of a plan because I was moving so fast. I knew I wanted to use this and I knew this was much better than the system I had, uh, the traditional system I had. So I didn't put a lot of forethought into it when I got to the day where it was time for me to begin research papers. I took a copy of the topics and I think there's 137 or 147 and I printed them out and I just handed them out to the kids and I said, just circle any of these that uh, kind of give you a little spark. Like any of these seem interesting to you. And 
every single kid had at least one thing circled, which if, if you're an English teacher and you're signing research papers to not have um, a child say, I don't like any of these topics is already a profound, <laughs> profound improvement. Yeah. And they did. And so some of them had, everybody had one, the high was like nine or 10. And from there, I mean, it just, it was like dominoes. It just, once I did that, then the natural next step was to say, well, let's look in, here's, here's a link. Let's go in there, find the ones that you clicked, click on them and start looking at them and see if it's still interesting to you. Let's narrow it down a little bit. And again, once they got in there, there wasn't uh, the attrition rate that usually happens as well. It didn't damper their enthusiasm very much to be presented with the task list. Was that a first? (laughs) I mean, I I tell a story, um, but research papers in English are the same exactly the same format from when I had research papers when I was a ninth or 10th grader, where you go and you are assigned five or six topics or an author and they're the same. And you go and you compile a lot of information, which is by the way, not really research. Um, It's more like compilation of information and you write some stuff and try not to plagiarize or try to get away with plagiarizing and then turn it in and it's kind of a forgotten task at that point. My uh, son did that this year, he's a, he's a sophomore and he wrote his research project for his pre-AP English class the morning of the due date and got a 99 and doesn't remember it. So yes, it's, it's very, very different from my tradition, my typical experiences over the last 25 years or so with research papers. Did they know what they were when you introduced the topics that they were scouting merit badges or and, yeah, that, and what and what was the reaction to to that? I, I asked them if anybody had been in scouts, and there were only two or three. Um, it was it was it was very much just kind of a neutral reaction. They were okay. It didn't it didn't hurt anything at all because once I had the list in front of them, the interest carried itself, and so there was no damage or benefit. I just said, yeah, I took these from scouting and it's a great wide ranging list. I also told them though, that if there were topics that they didn't see that they wanted, that I would write merit badges for them. And I think two kids did that, but there was no, yeah, it didn't, it didn't hurt anything at all to know the origin of the badges. So explain the, the, how they earn a merit badge. There's, there's in, in all the merit badges, uh, the, the are in boy scouts. There's three or four basic steps that you have to go through um, after you identify a topic. To earn a merit badge, you have to research um, a subject in in certain ways, practical ways. And then you have to uh, compile the information and present the information and then perform the information where you have to take that knowledge and actually perform a task of some sort that shows that you have immersed yourself in that field to a certain extent to create maybe not mastery, but utility with the subject. So working knowledge. And so they're all a combination of um, traditional information gathering, but then physical application of that information, which just 
makes it uh, much more fun. So take us through one example of one of your student research papers, presentations, and what it looked like. Oh, um, so I had, I had several students choose fishing as one and, uh, I'll just pick Santiago and it, the fishing uh, badge requires that the, um, candidate, I guess would be the word. Anyway, the student researches both, um, broad information about fishing, like, um, parts of a fish, how to remove a hook, um, how to cast what the, what the tackle and what the, what the equipment is, some of the hazards that are involved, but then also, um, what the state and local requirements are, what the game fish are in that area. And so it's, it's, it's a neat combination of every fisherman needs to know this, but also because I'm in this area, I need to know this information. And then the performance part is just wonderful because you have to go out and actually fish. And not only do you have to fish, but you have to tell the, by video or, or directly. And I had a combination of me going out to places and kids turning videos in. You have to tell the person, this is the lure I'm using. This is the rod and reel I'm using. Uh, this is how I'm going to cast. And this is, this is the best way to catch this kind of fish. And then you have to fish until you catch that fish. And then when you get that fish, you hold it up, you, you say, here's how it's identified. Um, you take the hook out and then you take it home and clean it and cook it and eat it. It was awesome. <laughs> it was just awesome. Oh my God. So great. Now, so, that takes it to a whole nother level yeah. when they're, they're doing, they're having to write, they're having to go through, through these processes, they're having to document their sources, but yet it's not just that. They physically went, they physically documented and you were involved and you said some, the parents almost would have to be involved because some of these kids probably can't drive. Right. When is the parent involvement? Is there more than just obviously than just a traditional research paper? Well, the involvement, um, parental involvement on a traditional level, like on the level that normally occurs is based a lot on socioeconomic status and um, the relationship the parent had with school when he or she was going through. So there's a, there's a dividing line where certain kids who have those benefits receive continual parental help and other kids don't receive those benefits and tend to struggle more, which is part of the reason that things like homework become, becomes an, an equity issue. And what I, what I found was where, very, very few parents would feel like they had the interest or the capacity to help with a research paper on Shakespeare, for instance. There were a lot of fishermen out there, and there were a lot of auto mechanics, and there were a lot of farmers, and there were a lot of um, welders, and there were a lot of um, people who were in the professions and people who had all these hobbies. But let's just say they're fishers and fishermen. They knew this information and how to fish. And so there was much more of a tendency because Santiago's dad loved to fish. And that's one thing they, they typically did together. It was just completely natural for them to get this task and both be interested and feel confident that they could achieve this goal working together. And that's way different 
then the traditional distance our current curriculum puts between the kid, the student, the family, and the teacher and the parent, right? So this was this was more like a closed square. And so these these you could hear Santiago's dad in the back giving advice and talking and encouraging. And I mean, this is pure luck and this will never happen again, but Santiago caught his fish on his first cast. He caught the fish <laughs> he was after on his first cast. Oh my God. Yeah. And then um, just, you could hear his dad coaching him through how to clean. He hadn't cleaned one before. And then, and then his mom helping him a little bit with the cooking and her, she had, she made her special spice for fish or something and he was bragging on it. And so there was this, involvement of something that the family already had going and then way behind the scenes kind of floating around in the background was the English part, but it was there, which is, I mean, to me, that's exactly how you want that to happen. It was a byproduct of something that was relational and interesting. And then while doing it, um, they achieved their, the goals for the English class. So, in years past, where you, you just had research papers compared to this year, the student, did you see much growth in, in them, like personally, as a, you know, as a student, were they a little more outgoing now, maybe a little, and, you know, peppier, a little more pep in their step when they walk into English class now? Yeah. Um, especially with, uh, with the, the kids, the, with IEPs who, who have, uh, real struggles in, in written and spoken English. Um, when, when kids who don't have mastery of a subject walk into that classroom, that's an intimidating and possibly oppressive environment because they know that they are not at the level of their peers and also that they're not at the level that the teacher wants them to be at. Like they know that they are coming in um, with a deficit. My kids know that. And so they're afraid of being called on. They're afraid of looking stupid. They're afraid of getting in front of the class. And that's, that's become endemic in classes now, like that fear of getting in front of kids. So um, I've got a, uh, a student with an IEP who lives on a farm and he chose farm mechanics. And he was, um, he's a great kid. His, Dad was going to brought the tractor to school and um, he did a tear down of, of the tractor and worked on it and did a tune up and, and he knew all this stuff. And it, it doesn't bother me that he already knew a lot of this material because I'm, I'm not grading on. If I do a research paper on Shakespeare or birth control or the traditional, you know, endangered species or traditional topics, when teachers do that in English, we're not grading on those topics. We're grading on the job they do uh, with the research. And so this kid is sitting there with these, these, he, he's got a 1948 John Deere out in his backyard tractor of some sort. And again, I, like, I, like I know little about tractors and he's sitting there and he, and he went to the John Deere dealership with his dad again. And he's got these, and he went all the way in the back and he got in the vaults or the box or something. And they came out with these owner manuals that didn't even have copyright dates or anything. I mean, it looked like 
cave drawings almost of these old, old, old John Deere tractors. <laughs> and he's thumbing through these things into the technical schematics. And he comes up and he said, um, how do I put this in a work sided? And it was like, I have no, it was, I started laughing. It was, I have no idea. There's nothing. It just said, all it said was John Deere, right? It didn't so say, you get to learn. Yeah. Published by wasn't on there or the page numbers. <laughs> Um, but, it didn't but he's matter. asking you about works cited. But oh you have done that before, and you know, on a Shakespeare. No, you know, no. He would have, he would have done. I mean, that that child would have done the work, but the investment wouldn't have been there. I mean, it it went from being, how can I make this as quick and painless as possible, to something where a lot of kids began going out of their way to um, make this assignment meaningful and deep. And, and that's something I've never seen. I've never seen any kid. I mean, I taught college and if I've got English majors I was teaching, then I'd give a Shakespeare thing. They would go fairly deep. But at the high school level, these detached topics would lead to detached work. And these invested chosen topics in areas of interest drive themselves. And, and the kids on their, on their own want to go deeper because it's the stuff they're already interested in knowing more about. What, what was the reaction with, with your, your peers, other teachers, were they like, dude, you're crazy. What are you doing? Or, you know, was there like, Hey, what are you doing? That they they could be doing this yeah. too. They could. Um, I, <laughs> I flew this almost entirely under the radar because I was moving really quickly. And I didn't, once I realized how good it was going to be, I really didn't want to wait a year and go through the approval process. Um, and so I think by and large, the only teachers who really knew were the special ed teachers who were the kids were coming back to the resource rooms and they, they were loving it because it was like this kid was working, right? So you go back to the resource room or achievement lab or whatever, and the kid would be hauling his 1948 John Deere manual or his you know, how to clean a shotgun safely or astronomy or whatever it was. And they would actually continue working in the classes, but it's largely not, I mean, that's kind of the next step, but it's, it, we haven't really trotted it out in my school. I think that's on the cusp. Once my superintendent saw the video at the superintendent's meeting, he wasn't there. There's I think a boiler fire in one of our elementaries or something that, caused him to miss it. He contacted me and said, I saw Dr. Watson's talk. I missed yours. This looks really interesting. Let's, let's talk for sure. And so I think there's going to be something emerging in our district where this becomes an option, which is really exciting. Well, you saw a passion come out in the kids. You saw them talking to their parents because when you, um, when the kids are little, you're like, oh my gosh, you guys, you're talking so much, but they, you know, that they get to a certain age and I mean, you've got to draw things out of them sometimes. And then this bridged an opportunity with the parents and then also the community. And, and, and their peers as well. Right. I mean, I had the one where, um, the kid was, um, doing auto mechanics and he got, he got under the hood and froze. And, um, because his car had caught on fire that morning. And so the car that he knew really well wasn't available. So his mom brought the car and it was a hybrid and this was, you know, and he, and he's, he's another special ed kid and he's sitting there with his sheet and he was, he was just like a deer in the headlights. And 
other, mainly boys, began to crowd around and stick their heads under the hood, just like would happen under a shade tree or the shop, and began to work together to help this kid through and, and kind of consult with each other. And they went the whole way. And, and when it got back to the stuff that the kid already knew, they stayed right in there with him. And so, which was, again, awesome. And those relationships carried the rest of the year. Those relationships weren't present until they worked together. And then that kind of got them into more of a cooperative stance in English moving forward. And these are all the students who had their heads under the hood were students who were struggling in English up to this point. Which is why I personally am so glad you didn't wait because all those relationships changed. Their feelings about school, their feelings about English, uh, you changed that for them. And so waiting would have been, I mean, pushing them that much further back where they could be. I'm not sure I would have received approval. That is so sad. (laughs) Yeah. I may have, but there's, there was no guarantee. And if people wanted to bog it down, um, it, it wouldn't be hard. I mean, I'm, I'm a classroom teacher mm-hmm. and I have a lot of control in my own classroom and very minimal control outside my classroom. And so when it comes to the big decisions, it requires, um, more powerful people than me to kind of get behind it, to make, to make changes. And so one of the things I taught at a Catholic school when I was just starting out in Tulsa and, and one of the, the priests said, um, do the thing and then apologize. It's the, you know, that's the, <laughs> that's the Catholic way. I'm not Catholic, but, um, I kind of took that with me and, um, it's out there for if, if teachers hear this, it's very doable, but I will also say that I haven't heard a, I've spoken to two groups of superintendents now and it's been very, high interest reception both times. And so I think if the word gets out, I think that you will get the support from above if, if you need that as well. Just depends on how you want to approach it. Now, sorry, as somebody listening out there, you know, when you talk English, English teachers know Shakespeare Mm -hmm. and they know all that you were talking John Deere and fishing and all that, you know, not every teacher may, (laughs) may know that it may kind of sound intimidating. What's, you know, what's your advice? Well, first of all, I I needed to remember uh, the first bit of advice is to just watch the kid's expression and tone. And if it's something that's completely outside your wheelhouse, like tractors for me, um, I was grading at that point on whether the kid sounded like he knew what he was talking about (laughs) and was speaking with authority because I was, I was remembering that um, I'm not grading on that. Right. It doesn't matter. However, there's some cool stuff emerging where SDAC is developing a council of experts who are going to be available um, and who are glad to um, evaluate the, the John Deere end of it. And I'll, I'll tell you this, when um, I was able to, I had a whole bunch of kids do auto tech, which is a great badge. And when I was able to talk to the auto shop teacher and of all the teachers, he was the one who was really willing to gauge and we began to pull the cars into the auto shop and he would stand there. It hit a whole nother level because I'm watching the research end of it. I'm also learning and he is talking the kids through the technical stuff and providing additional information. And so it became an auto tech learning environment with again, an English backup where a grade was, was occurring. And so 
when I do this again, I'm going to really, first of all, I'm going to have my superintendent has already said, we need to do this, right? He said, we we need to, yeah, clear space for you. Let Mark do this, which is great. Um, That word coming down, I think will get a lot of the subject, like the, you know, the other teachers more on board with this and understanding what I'm asking for. And, uh, and it makes it so much more fun. Like when you do music and the kid has to write an original song and build an original instrument and play it for the class. Um, it was a blast. It was awesome. But having an actual music teacher in there to, to also mentor the kid and to coach and stuff takes it to a level that's just kind of mind blowing. Then you're mastering the soft skills and those, they may not be getting those at home either. To be quite honest, the, the Kansas can Venn diagram, um, um, I'm, I'm holding it up now so everyone just can take a look at it. <laughs> Here it is. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the middle of that, and, and it says, um, like elementary, here are the goals for redesign secondary. Here are the goals for redesign. Those are circles. And then like a Venn diagram, there's an overlapping area in the middle that, that goes all the way through. And it's, this, this is just perfect. It, 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 it talks about elements like, um, the students have choices over their curriculum. The, there's a physical activity, um, combined with the, the mental work, the, it's, it's relationship building. It, it, um, applies to future career paths. I mean, there's, there's more, but if you go down that list, which I did, um, this hits on all of them. And as we make it better, because we're doing a lot of work with that right now in terms of trying to build um, specific career paths out of this, build um, citizenship badges, more of those out of this, it will just align better and better with with the broad redesign goals for the state. So kind of two questions here. Was this something you were looking for? Were you thinking, man, I got to change up the research paper try something different or, you know, was this something that just hit you in the head and go, wow, that makes sense. I need to do that. And two, um, for somebody out there who may be listening, a teacher who's thinking, well, I think I want to try that, but I'm not sure. What would your advice be? Well, for the first part, let's go back to my first few years of teaching when I taught at the Catholic school in Tulsa. And I would, I, my first year I brought out the research paper topic and the kids all groaned. And I said, why, what's the matter? And they described what the research paper was going to be before I described it. And it was exactly the same as the research paper I had done 12 years earlier in my class. I knew then that, okay, that wasn't going to be acceptable. And so I I came up with a model that um, pretty much eliminated plagiarism and um, created local interest that I've, I've used at the high school and college level for 25 years. And it's, it's really simple, but this has been kind of my teaching MO for all that time. It is, Find a problem in your local community that doesn't have a readily available answer and develop an answer for that. So I've always had that one in the bank. But when I went and that was like the master's program I ran for McPherson College, that was what teachers did. And I mean, they, they, it was they worked on a big, huge adaptive challenge in their schools. But now I'm teaching two and three consecutive levels of of English and I needed something besides this one thing that's worked well. And I needed something that I could use on a multi-year basis without replicating. And so that it wasn't the exact same assignment. And so 
that's what led me to say, I need additional tools. I have this one good idea. And then I saw these merit badges and it just provided a lot more structure and a lot more ready-made options. And so that's, that's what I was looking for. And you say structure, but there's a lot of freedom as well, which is, is mind blowing because it is, I mean, here you've got all these options. Now you've got to do this, this, and this, but it's all about you. And, and once they pick those options, I, I have students who, um, or were really low in verbal and written English. And like I said, at full-time paras, because the merit badges are written out with so many requirements, there might be 40 or 50 lines of small task. I was able to sit down with those, with the paras for those kids and say, all right, here's this long list. Let's mark out everything that this kid can't do. And it was a five minute. So accommodation, instead of being this vague, horrible thing that a lot of teachers actually resist doing, it was a five minute process of saying, okay, for one kid, we ended up with maybe 30% of the steps left. And he had a great time and cooked his first meal ever and loved it and, and brought us all down there and we ate a meal on paper plates together. And it was the sweetest, most awesome thing. And he was proud of himself and that was his level, but it was just a matter of saying, here are the steps and we're going to take these and these and these and these out. And what we're going to leave him is something that's within his capability, but still is the assignment, which is, it's perfect accommodation. So it's scalable. I had other, I had one other girl who um, did horsemanship, who was a really good writer. And she said, this is too easy. And I said, will you help me make it better? And she said, yeah. And she, and she and I sat down together again, five to 10 minutes. And we added all these skill requirements for advanced horsemanship but it's, it's not a long process. So it's infinitely scalable, both in terms of the overall student choice, but once you get inside there, you can tweak it easily. It, it's, it's, it's one of those flexible things I've ever encountered. But you were willing to invest the time and you're willing to invest in each one of the kids because it sounds to me like each one of the kids got to work with you individually. Um, and you saw the project from the very start to the very end. And for you, from what I heard earlier, you're all about the relationships and you got back into the classroom because of those kids. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the conundrums that um, are occurring as we, as we think about this, this is not something where you can say, I'm going to adopt this curriculum and it will develop the relationships automatically. So if you're a teacher who doesn't like kids very much, this is not going to change the game at all. So I don't know how a selection process or whether self-selection should occur anyway, but there's a lot of teachers out there who really are invested in the kids all the time. And for them, this will, this will make perfect sense. So I had the relationships going into this, which probably made acceptance, the kids acceptance, be much higher than it might have otherwise, but relationships drive everything. And if you don't have that, you probably have some other work to do. Well, perfect. Yeah, it is. Um, we said 15 minutes. We've been talking for 30 minutes, of course now, but so Mark, when you're talking to a passionate teacher, it's really hard. I mean, you see the heart and you see the soul and you put it all into your kids and your work. Yeah. If somebody's out there listening, they're like, 
man, this really sounds interesting. I wish I had more information. Can somebody get a hold of you? Anyhow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, Mark Malaby at McPherson.com. Uh, Mark.Malaby at McPherson.com is fine. I'm on Facebook. We're also starting at SDAC a um, early adopters kind of special, you know, people who are interested in, in picking this up group. So you can also contact um, SDAC. There's, there's like, SDAC's got a whole bunch of stuff going on with this and has some big plans. And so. Um, who do they talk to specifically? Mike Cook, who's the. He's our know. executive director. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, the, <laughs> he's the big boss. Steve Wyckoff um, is, is really, is really good. And those two, those two, I think are, are driving it pretty much. And um, there's, I mean, the train industries is, is working closely. We've uh, um, different um, economic angles are coming into it. Companies are, are looking for ways to turn this into training where um, this could turn into jobs for kids when they walk out the door, right? This, this would be, a, this would be a real legitimate local career pathway. And um, so if you want the, how did you do it? What was your experience stuff? Um, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you anyway. Uh, but if you want the kind of the big picture stuff, I would, I would just get in touch with you guys and me. <laughs> and Dan Whistler. And Dan Whistler, educator in residence for train. Yes. All righty. Well, any last words, Jamie? Any last thoughts? Here? No. Okay. I think so. I'm just excited. I, I love talking to teachers that just care so much. And it's not that they aren't just there to earn a paycheck. They're there to make a difference in the kids. Yes. Yes. So, Mark, thank you for coming in you to studio today and joining us for the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us here at esdec.org forward slash your stories. You can find all those or you find us on your favorite podcast app, iTunes or Jamie's favorite. iHeartRadio. Yep. All right. Until next time. I gotta come up with better ending. What? <laughs>